Equity Podcast. This is Amanda and Kat, and today we have Kelly Herrick with us. She'll be talking about her um, egg donation after years of infertility and IVF and how she has ran a support group in Santa Barbara for years and just how she is a part of the infertility community. So we are so excited that you're here, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited about what you guys are doing and um, I'm honored to tell my story. Yeah, well, we so appreciate it. And as someone going through that went through embryo adoption, I love hearing, you know, egg donors, sperm donors, just like the different sides of it. So we're so excited for you to just share your journey with us. And um, basically how it goes is we just kind of give you the floor and let you talk about, you know, how it all started and just share your whole story with us. Okay, awesome. So um, first of all, so I, whenever someone joined my support group, my, my first question always was, how old are you and how long have you been trying? Um, I think age has a ton to do with, you know, my infertility. Um, I know you guys are like super young. <laughs> um, so I know it can definitely cross different age demographics, but, um, you know, I started trying when I was 35. So I had just gotten married. My husband was 10 years older, so he was 45. Um, and we literally started trying like the month after we got married. So that was, we got married in March of 2017. And it was kind of the same old story that everyone has. You know, I think a lot of people who go through infertility like tend to be type A, or if they're not, they tend to become type A. <laughs> right. You know, there's, you know, there's just kind of like that stress and anxiety of, okay, how, how come this isn't working? And, um, you know, six months had gone by. And of course, on the sixth month, I called my doctor and she had me come in. And she said, um, you know, let's, let's start you off on some Clomid. That's kind of like the, the gateway drug, I call it the first step. Mm -hmm. um, and at the, it's so, so hilarious now because at the time I'm like, oh, like offended, like oh, I do not need medicine to help me. And then it's like fast forward two years and I'm literally flying a 20 year old from a different country in to take her eggs. You yeah. know, it's like oh, yeah. things, things just change really quickly. Um, so I started, I did a couple rounds of Clomid, um, with timed intercourse that didn't work. And then I went back and she, she basically said, you know, she did a scan and she found some polyps, um, in my uterus. So we did a hysteroscopy, um, got the, the polyps out. And then she, um, we, we started seeing a fertility specialist. So we did, I think four IUIs with Clomid. Okay. Um, and I was, I was responding pretty well to the, to the Clomid. I mean, I was having like three to four follicles every time. And, um, you know, I, I had hope and it's like, when you're doing IUIs, it's, you know, at the time I really didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know, you know, the success rate of IUIs is really not that great for someone my age. Um, and so that's kind of when I started the support group. So I had connected with another person, another woman who was, um, you know, going through infertility and we decided to, you know, basically join forces and start this resolve, uh, support group in Santa Barbara. And on the first group she came and she said, you know, it was the first time I'd actually met her in person. And she said, I can't be part of the group. I just got an unexpected positive pregnancy test. So of course that was super exciting for her, but then it was yeah. kind of like, okay, I guess I'm still going forward with this. Yeah. And so that was in, um, I think January or February of 2018. 
Yeah. So Kelly had it been about, it had been about six months from like marriage, try support group. Yes. I feel like that's similar. And I had a similar experience too. I started, it's called what the fertility here locally in Charleston and the same exact thing. Like I started this with somebody other than Amanda, because Amanda doesn't live here. Um, and kind of similar stuff, like one fell off, life changed. And then I'm like, Oh, I guess it's just me. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And there's like nothing worse than feeling like you're the lone wolf when everyone in your support group gets pregnant. So like our first kind of group, um, Uh, in our first kind of group of gals in the group, I think there was like about five or six of us and no one, I think one person was going down the IVF path. Um, And I I actually didn't know anyone in my real life who had gone through IVF. Um, I didn't even know what it was about. And, um, and so seeing like, she kind of gave me the confidence and the like push to really kind of contemplate going down that path. And, um, she and most of the girls in my group, I will say, were older. So they were, um, you know, late thirties. I think we had at one point we had one girl come in who was like twenty three, and she'd had a few miscarriages. And we're just like, we're not the right person. <laughs> we're not the right group for you. You're probably gonna be scared away by us. Um, so that was funny. But you know, at, at some point, I think probably six months into the group, everyone basically had gotten pregnant, and I Ouch. was. Yes. And I was kind of like the last man standing. Um, and then it kind of grew. So then we got this new insurgence of women who were kind of just starting out their journeys. And I, you know, had already kind of gone through several different treatments and felt like, okay, I can really help these people. Um, and so that made me feel better. And there's been about 15 people through the group. It's obviously changed a lot through COVID. We, we're not meeting anymore because everyone basically has had their babies, um, save for like one or two people who are still working on it um, and going down different paths, you know. So I, um, so I'd had that hysteroscopy and then um, I'd had the four IUIs and on the, the last IUI, right before he was going to do the IUI, he looked, he did a scan and he said, I see a polyp, you know, I didn't see this before. So this is, so I didn't have hope on that last IUI. I ended up doing another hysteroscopy to clear out those polyps. Um, and then we decided, you know what, we're going to switch course and do a round of IVF. So we switched doctors. Um, you know, my, the doctor I was going to at the time, he was like the only doctor in Santa Barbara, but he really didn't inspire confidence in me. I felt like, you know, his lab was kind of subpar and I just felt like, I don't have a good feeling about this. And he had, he had taken, um, you know, a blood panel and found that I I did have low AMH. So my AMH, I think was like at one. Um, and at the time I probably was, let's see, I was 36, almost 37. To, so, uh, to Amanda and I, that sounds beautiful. <laughs> I know, I know. And that, well, that was like the first time he kind of, I said, well, what does low AMH mean? And he said, well, a lot of times people with this level do use donor eggs. And it was like, whoa, hang on a second. That is. The first time that was ever even like brought up to you, right? Yes. And I, and I thought like, whoa, like, I think you're jumping the gun. This yeah. is crazy. Um, so we switched doctors and, um, we've had, we found this awesome RE about an hour away from us in Thousand Oaks. And, um, so we did our first, I, our first IVF cycle with him. And, um, you know, during that time, you know, of course I'm like omitting all of these <laughs> anxiety laden 
days of, you know, searching low AMH hashtags on Instagram and, you know, trying to do the, it starts with the egg diet and doing all this BS. Um, And actually, I think my first AMH level that I had was 0.5. And then I did the, it starts with the egg diet for about two months. And then it went up to one, 1.03. It was amazing. So I felt pretty good about that. Um, and so going into my first IVF cycle, we got six eggs, which I felt really good about. And we yeah. kind of went into this knowing like, well, thinking and pretty much d- determining that we wanted only one child. Um, so we didn't necessarily need to have a ton of embryos. Um, we got one normal out of those eggs. It was a girl and we transferred it on my 38th birthday. So that was August of 2019 and it took, and I got, I got pregnant the first time I'd ever seen a positive on a pregnancy test. And I was just like elated. And, um, and then two days later, the beta went down and my doctor called and he said, it's a chemical pregnancy. And I didn't know what a chemical pregnancy was. I hadn't heard of that. And that was crushing. You know, that was like the lowest of the low. Um, and so, you know, we had gone into this, it's just funny how your perception changes. You know, you go into something thinking we're going to do this once, you know, it's all out of pocket for us. It's 25 K it's not cheap. I mean, it's not at all. Yeah. And and I mean, like you pay it up front, you swipe your card, you write that check and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not only financially just crushing. It's also like emotionally and physically crushing. You know, there was a point during my first IVF cycle where, um, you know, when I had gone in for a scan and he saw fewer follicles than he had a few days before Mm -hmm. and I just lost it and I, and I couldn't control my emotions. I mean, I was just crying incessantly and I, and I knew it was the hormones, you know, you just feel like so off and you don't feel like yourself. It's so, it's so gnarly. And, um, and so after this loss, basically I'm like, oh, hell no, I'm not, I'm not stopping here. Yeah. We're going to do another round, you know? You feel and like, then, did you feel like, cause I know obviously egg donor, they told you it was like on the table that you would probably need it. But now were you like, well, no, I got pregnant. I don't need egg donor. Like, oh yes, I absolutely yeah. did. Yeah. And I felt like, um, oh, you know, I felt like no way I got this. And, um, and I had talked to my new doctor, like I had kind of dropped like the egg donor, you know, card with him. And he's like, absolutely not. Like you are too young to be going to that side of the clinic. Um, like no. And so he, he encouraged us to do another round. Um, and I was like really adamant we're going to, we're going to do this. And so we jumped right into another round and, you know, this was a, the point where now like my research had caught up to me and I was really up on different protocols and what should we do for this low AMH and diminished ovarian reserve. And so I, you know, I had the most amazing doctor and he literally would spend a half an hour on the phone with me debating whether I should use like progesterone and oil or suppositories. Like literally we would go back and forth. And so I felt super taken care of, um, which I know doesn't always happen in this world. Um, so we went right into our second round and um, everything was going good. You know, he said he saw six follicles again, which was great. And then two days before retrieval. So I had spent literally $8,000 on injectable medications. He said, you know, the follicles have kind of 
withered. And I think, I think you're probably only going to get one or two eggs from this cycle. And at the, at the time, you know, I knew how these numbers go. You know, we all know how we all learn really that quickly. Yeah. That attrition rate. Like, and I think when you go into IVF and don't know that that's when it's rough because you're like, yeah, I got six eggs. And then you're like, but that doesn't necessarily mean six embryos or even right. one embryo or even one. I mean, I was stoked on our one, but I also felt like when I had our one, and I know you can relate to this cat, like you had your one, like the pressure you put on that one is so intense. And, mm -hmm. and so going into it being like, okay, you're going to get now maybe one, maybe two eggs, eggs, if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. I just knew like, this is not going to work. And I talked to my doctor and he said, I think you can do better. I think, I think we should cancel this cycle. We'll convert it to an IUI and we'll try again. And so it was based, I called it the Cadillac of IUIs basically, because it was my $8,000 IUI. I, I yeah. went in for my, my procedure and it didn't work. And of course I, you know, I wasn't really surprised about that because I'd already had four failed IUIs. Um, so kind of at that time, I knew that I needed more chances. I needed more, um, yeah, I guess more chances than like what my body was able to produce. And I knew like we could keep doing this. We could keep going, you know, financially we could afford it. Um, but it kind of was like dipping into our plans for buying a home. And it's like, okay, if we spend all this money to have a baby and we have no home to put her in, that doesn't really make sense. Um, so, you know, I, I remember just like hugging my husband in the living room after the IUI failed. And I just said, you know, like, I think, I think I want to outsource this. <laughs> I think I want to try for something that's going to give us a better chance. And, um, I had had, um, so I asked Dr. Hubert, my doctor, if, um, you know, who you would recommend for an egg donor agency. And of course, you know, when you get into egg donation, there's so many different ways that you can go about it. Um, there's obviously you can get frozen eggs or you can get a fresh cycle. Um, and so I really went into it looking like looking at it. How can I most efficiently, most affordably have the greatest chance of success here? And that for us was a fresh cycle, a full fresh cycle. So not splitting eggs with anyone else. Um, it happened that there was a, an egg donor agency that was based in Santa Barbara, which I had no idea about. And so I connected with the owner of that agency and I actually had her um, come and speak to our support group to kind of tell us a little bit about egg donation. And mind you, no one in the group, I mean, no one in the group was even contemplating donor eggs. Um, and I will say that, spoiler alert, there's now three of us who are like have gone down this path. Um, but she, she came and spoke to the group and then she came a second time and she actually brought an egg donor from, you know, out of the country. I can't remember exactly where she was from, but um, the, the agency is more of like an altruistic based agency. And it's really focused on travel for these egg donors. So like the kind of benefit to them is, you know, they're in their early twenties, mid twenties, they fly here typically from a different country. Um, they get 10 days here with either their boyfriend or a friend that of course we all pay for. Um, and then they get a small stipend and they donate their eggs. And, um, we, I, you know, started kind of the process of searching for an egg donor, which is very much like 
dating, right? It's like a match.com <laughs> situation. Um, and it's really jarring because a lot of the women who have profiles, they are in their bikinis. They're like doing these modeling pictures and it's really creepy. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that's not what I'm looking for. And so then of course my donor pops up and she's in a cap and gown and she's holding a diploma. And I thought, oh, I really like her. And yeah. um, it was like, it was just, I wanted to find someone who like was studious, you know, like kind of like me and just type A. And, um, and so I clicked on her and got more information about her and asked about, um, asked the, the agency owner, you know, had she had any successful cycles before? And she told me that her, she donated once before to a couple in Australia and that, and that intended mom was pregnant with twins and that she had gotten 11 normal embryos. Wow. Out of the cycle. That's when so, you say outsourcing is definitely the way, I mean, cause that's your point. Like you now I have, could have 11 chances to try. Totally. And that, that like right there solidified, we're, we're doing this, like yeah. we're going down this path. And so that was literally like in late September, like my, I had transferred, I had had my chemical pregnancy in early August of that year by late September, I'd already kind of failed that second cycle decided we're going to egg donation, confirmed who the, our donor was going to be in early October. And then she flew out in December and, oh, um, it was fast. And so, you know, this process, and I know you can relate to this. I, I, I mean, I'm so happy that, you know, the, you know, biological parents of your child. Um, but it's like really a difficult path to, navigate when you know nothing about like the donor conceived world. Um, I feel like we I've learned. The, so much. We don't know the sperm donor. We only know the egg donor. That's right. Okay. Yes. But you know, her husband. Her, right? Yes. Who's yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But he's okay. not, so, he's not the sperm donor. Right. So right. Okay. Married. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, um, like, do you have any information about that person or about the donor, the sperm donor? We just have yeah. the profile from the sperm bank. Okay. And is he open to like communication? Okay. No, he's not. So like, this is like this, um, industry that is like changing so rapidly about anonymity and about, you know, donor conceived people are now old enough to speak up about what they want to see changed. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I had picked this donor and at the time it was, it was not even really discussed. Like, is she open to contact? Um, and so after I had already chosen her and that's when I had met the, um, the agency owner had brought another donor to our support group. Um, and she had told us that she had had, um, relationships with like the intended parents of some of the offspring that she had helped create. And so that got me thinking like, Oh, I wonder if our donor is open to, um, contact. And so I, you know, I sent a message to the agency and they reached out to her and she said, I've really thought about it. And yes, I would be open to contact. And so, um, the day of her, so we had to basically switch and switch to another clinic because she was only able to, um, fly here. She lives, um, lives in Canada. So she was only able to fly here like around the holidays when she was off for Christmas break. And so there was our lab, um, that we were working with basically was going to be closed for like a two week time period over the holidays. And so we went with a different, um, a different clinic who 
um, our agency highly recommended that we use him anyway, Dr. Kumar. And so, um, and she, that's where our donor had donated previously. So she had flown there. Yeah. So she had flown there and it was, it's in Los Angeles. So she had flown there to donate and the intended parents had flown from Australia to like give the sperm donation and do the transfer. So like, this is like this whole global network, you know, it's really cool. cool. Yeah. And you all have to kind of be timed up for this transfer, the fresh transfer, right? So like you start before, and then she obviously has to start before she travels, correct? Well, so I wanted to PGS test. So we wanted to choose gender um, because I was only going to have one. I am going to only have one. And I really wanted a girl. So um, we did basically like I did. I was ready to transfer basically like the week after we got our PGS results back. Um, And then I had done like the doctor basically said, you know, everything looks great on your end, but we need you to have a, um, a pelvic MRI, which I had never had before to test for adenomyosis. And um, I didn't have that. So that was good. Um, And so when she, when she, flew here on the 26th of December and she had a friend with her. Um, you know, it was like, so I know it was fun for her because she was like in LA over new year's Eve and got to have fun. I mean, I know she's doing the shots and by the way, the shots are complicated. So you really, for us, like I really wanted to have someone who had done it before and like had been successful before. Didn't mess it up. Didn't mess it up. (laughs) Yeah. And she, and she's doing it from a hotel room. You know, she's like got the meds in like this little tiny refrigerator in the hotel. I mean, it's, it's odd. Um, But I think also like 20 year olds bounce back way quicker. (laughs) Like I know she was like parting it up the day, the day she retrieved the eggs. um, She was out like. Isn't that such a funny mindset? Like, cause if it was like one of us doing it, we would be like so strict. And then she's like, well, I, what do I have in the game? Yeah, exactly. I know. And so, um, so it was interesting. We were driving down and we had done, um, my husband had provided a sample previously, like that was going to be frozen. Cause that was another thing I really wanted to ensure that like, you know, what if he gets stage fright the day of the retrieval? I want to make sure that there's something, there's a backup plan. There's frozen sperm there. So we had already done that. And then, but we also decided to go down the day of, and he gave a fresh sample that day. And so when we're almost there, the agency owner calls me and she says, "Um, just so you know, the retrieval has been pushed back a bit. You're probably going to be in the waiting room with the donor. And she said, are you okay with that? And I said, yes, I'm okay with that. So we get up there um, and she had, the donor had already been taken away to get her eggs retrieved, but her girlfriend, her best friend was there and we got to meet her and we got to chat with her and it was really sweet. And it just made me feel like, okay, like this is a good situation. Like she, she has like a solid friend. This is good. And then, um, after they retrieved her eggs, we got 30 eggs, which is just like crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So after the retrieval, she said, she asked the owner of the agency, like, Hey, could I meet them when I'm, you know, in the recovery room? And so we met her briefly in the recovery room and, um, it happened that 
her retrieval had been pushed like an extra couple days. So her flights had been changed around and now she was flying out of Santa Barbara instead of LA. And so she was staying in Santa Barbara that night. And so we got just like the amazing opportunity to sit down with her the next day for coffee. And um, she got to know us, you know, she, we got to walk her by, we met right where my husband and I work. And so she got to see where we work. She got to meet both of us. Um, and I think it was really great for her because I know the first couple that she had donated to did not want any type of open relationship with her. And so it was completely anonymous. Um, and so I think she felt better about, you know, meeting us and knowing kind of where this donation's going to go. And we felt really good about meeting her. We took a picture with her. And, um, and so that was, it was all a very like positive experience. Um, and then, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was good. And she was honestly everything I thought she was going to be, um, everything that she had kind of said in her profile and, um, you know, her, she looked the way that she actually, she looked really small. I feel like I could have like thrown her over my shoulder. She was just like, (laughs) she was like maybe a little shorter and like smaller, like more petite than she was, than she said she was in her profile. But I mean, that's fine. That's what I was going to ask you, Kelly. Did you get like those like, um, characteristics beforehand? Yes. So like her profile, basically we were looking for someone who had like dark hair, fair skin, um, eye color wasn't super important to me. Um, but I wanted someone kind of with like similar stature to me. Um, and then she had a very similar, um, like ancestry background to me. Um, and so, you know, it was really great. I, I want to back up too, and just also, you know, and you guys can, I'm sure relate to this because I know, you know, when you're going through this, sometimes you don't have someone that's going through it with you. I had a ton of support from my family, um, and a ton of support from my, even my coworkers who like day to day would see me get the phone calls from the clinic and, you know, just saw the, just how intense this whole process is. Um, and one of the greatest like gifts that several people in my life gave me when I was going through this is they, they did what I asked of them by watching this documentary. Um, maybe you guys have seen it. I think it's called one last shot and oh, it's I a document. I have not, but I want to, I'm going to write oh, that. My gosh. You guys, it, it's so good. And it is it so, on? I think it's on Netflix. Okay. Um, it's a few years old now. It's either called one more shot or one last shot, something like that. And it basically is, um, it's two people, a husband and wife going through infertility and they're documenting it, you know, from the beginning. And her story is like, it's exactly what we went through. And it's, I just wanted people to watch it, um, to get an understanding of like, what is happening behind closed doors, you know, behind my husband and I's closed doors, what we're dealing with and the emotions and the shots and the disappointments and the roller coaster that we're on. Um, so that was like such a huge gift that a lot of people in my life gave me by watching that to just get an idea of what was happening for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, you know, it was really important to me to have my family's um, support on going down the egg donor route, right? Because it's, you know, my genetics are genetics that are not going to be passed on. And how does that make them feel? And how is that for them? And so I really tried to keep my parents um, and my siblings kind of involved in the process. You know, I shared the profile with them and pictures and, um, and they were just, I mean, there was never a hesitation from day one. They just, they didn't care. They didn't care that their genetics weren't 
going to be part of this process. And, you know, in a way I felt like my husband is my family, right? So the, what our contribution is the sperm, like that's our sperm, <laughs> mine and his. Yeah. And so we just, we kind of had like a very positive feeling about it going, going into it and then getting to meet her really solidified what, you know, the positive feelings that we had about it. So then of course you go into the, the five day wait from the retrieval. Right. And so, you know, 30 eggs was a, course an amazing number to get and we ended up with um 12 blasts which i felt like was actually kind of low for having 30 eggs mm -hmm. um and so we sent the best 10 off for pgs testing and we got back five normals um wow. which of course at the time i was comparing it to the 11 normals that she had gotten previously and i felt like oh my god that's not enough you have that like pang of anxiety which is just like so ridiculous now because now it's like every year we're paying for these extra embryos and we're like okay now what do we do with these you know we're not yeah and like that. thinking five like what that could take like three years to transfer yeah. totally or like you know it you know we just didn't know if if it was going to work on the yeah. first chance you know um, and so we transferred the end of January and, um, it was like, literally the, we were driving down for the transfer and it was the first day that COVID had like been in the United States. Like the first case of COVID was found. Yeah. And I didn't, of course, no one really knew what, what is this COVID thing? Like you didn't know. Um, and so we got it. I mean, it all lined up great because of course clinics closed, you know, a couple of months later and. Um, yeah, so it, it worked on the first try and I started testing obsessively four days after and um, I got like a very faint, faint, faint positive on day four. Um, and yeah, it was, it was awesome. It worked and I had a flawless pregnancy. So amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And, um, and then I had my daughter, um, you know, in October of 2020. And she is like, she's my soulmate. She oh. is beyond anything we could have ever hoped for, asked for. She, and she's me. That's the, the funny part. Like it is, it is so hilarious how her personality is like me. You know, the doc, the pediatrician said, she's really precocious. She, you know, she has what we call a CEO type personality. And like, I'm like, oh, I don't know where she gets that from. Like, I don't know. She's really controlling. I have no idea how, um, but she's it. just like, she's just meant to be ours, you know? And it's like this, this journey is so stressful when you're going through it. And I have another friend of mine in my group who's going through this process and she's adding on the layer of getting a surrogate as well. And um, she, um, I've told her, you know, you know, this, um, like the baby that you get, like, it's all going to make sense as soon as they're born, it's all going to make sense. And it's like, you don't want to hear that when you're going through it, but at the end, you know, if it doesn't make sense yet, it's not the end. And I've, you know, used that quote so much with these women who are going through this journey, because once you have your baby, you're like, okay, this is my baby. This is yeah. how it's supposed to go down. And I think something you said um, when you like first reached out to us about how like you feel like he'll just always have a special place for the infertility and the fertility community. It's just so true. I thought that like once I got pregnant and had my child, I'd be like, wash my hands clean of it. But it's not the case at all. It really, really sticks with you. 
It does. And I spend my, I um, work a little bit further away from where I live. And so I have a commute now. And, um, and so my, my commutes are filled with listening to podcasts about different women's stories and just relating. And it's like, you can, um, you can really almost find anyone who's on the same journey with you. And when you start to like dig into this community, um, you know, one thing that I've really learned about is the donor conceived community. So what I'm trying to do is, you know, learn from them and, um, and try to raise my daughter, you know, with like knowing her origins, knowing her conception story. I mean, she's only, she's not even two yet, but we have a book that I've made, um, just kind of about her story and what we went through and it has a picture of the donor in it. And I've also, I've also connected with the intended parents who live in Australia. So um, we're friends. Yeah. So we're friends on Facebook. And so I get to see pictures of her kids and I've basically let the agency know that, you know, if any other intended parents use the same donor, I would like to be in contact with them because I just want all the information that I can to share with my daughter when the time comes. I love that. And I can so relate to that because now we have three in ours. We have three families that we're all in contact with and we are in a Facebook group and share pictures. And it's just for us. And it seems similar to you that, I mean, it's just so important that like my son, your daughter knows, you know, who's related to them, who's out there that come from the same origins. And yeah, we find it's a priority as well. Absolutely. And when I was going through this process, I was, um, you know, the, I, I wasn't sure, like, do I keep the donor thing a secret, like from my coworkers or like the people that I'm with every day. And it's really hard to, right. Because it's like, you're going to, you're, they know like literally a play by play of what you're doing that day. Like, oh, I'm starting an IVF cycle or I'm going to get my eggs retrieved. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you, you kind of can't not share because you've already been open. And so I was open with my colleagues, I'm a realtor. So um, I work in a, an office with about eight people. And at the time we were in the office a lot more because it was pre-COVID. <clears throat> and my, one of my colleagues um, is adopted. And she told me something that like has stuck with me for years. And she said, um, you know, as someone who was adopted, I felt so loved from my parents. And one of the reasons is because they didn't, they didn't place their expectations of who they wanted me to be onto me because they never felt like I needed to be like a, a, like a clone of them. They were genuinely like curious and excited about who I was and who I was turning out to be. And so that has like really stuck with me and it's been a kind of core value that I use when I'm raising my daughter. Like I'm, you know, so curious about who she's going to become and who she is. And, you know, we talk about her curls, like she has the most beautiful curly hair. And I tell her, you know, you got those curls from your, your egg donor. And, you know, like, I love those curls and I love your blue eyes and she didn't get the blue eyes from me. So, you know, I just, um, I really try to show her that like the, the half of her that is not biologically related to us like we love that that half of her and we want her to explore that as she gets older and she has the right she has the right to know who her you know biological genetics come from and you know i i'm not hiding that from her so um 
that's been kind of a process of being okay with it and not feeling insecure about it. Um, and also just really, you know, embracing who she is. I love that. That is beautiful. Your whole entire story honestly gives me chills because it's just so amazing. And for you now to have your daughter and wow, it's just so beautiful. We're so happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. And I just like, I, I look back at like the moment I was in my OB's office, like scoffing at the fact that she wanted to give me Clomid, like to help me, you know, right. <laughs> and, then, like, yeah, and then the, so the extremes that we go to. Yeah. So right. I'm so curious, are you still active in your fertility group um, on the West coast? So we have a, um, we have like a group chat and, oh. you know, when COVID happened, we, we went to zoom. And so we were all meeting and it, it's, it's kind of, um, a really, interesting place to be in when like you're in a support group and then people get pregnant mm -hmm. because how do you support them and like where they're at but also you know really retain the core reason that you started the group in the first place which is because of people who can't get pregnant so there was kind of this weird balance and like as people got pregnant they kind of felt like they weren't really a part of the group anymore or that they didn't like deserve to be in the group. And then we had some people who were like, you know, still not pregnant and felt like we don't like, we don't want new people joining. So like, it kind of has, it kind of has dissolved. We still have our core group. I think there's, like I said, there's two women who are still actively pursuing, um, you know, motherhood and doing it in various different ways. Um, and I feel, you know, really proud that like i can bring the egg donor story to it and really like give that as an option to people yeah, absolutely that's what people... i was gonna say yeah i mean you've been through so much you've been through the clomid you've been to, through the iuis you've been through the ivf you've been through the other side of the ivf with donor and i think like when you lead a group like that it's so important to speak from experience that that's just like such a gift and i will say for us too you know our group i love the, the idea about zoom i think that i might implement that that's really really awesome um yeah. we have like the core infertility group or, or loss group and you know we've kind of peeled away from that when when i mean i'm currently pregnant and there's about 11 of us in the group that are currently pregnant and so we've created this like silo group and for me in my life right now i'm i talk we talk i talk to these girls every single day which is such i feel like a gift that was given back to me because i never right intended for that to be the purpose of the group and then i kind of fall off but it's very interesting to see the women in the group that kind of rise to be leaders during that time um so i love what you said about that i can relate to all of that it's very very difficult to be super engaged in the infertility world when somebody in my situation i'm just trying to like get lost out of my head and make it through the nine months but um, right. I'm, I'm hopeful that you know you have a two-year-old and you're still um in contact with these women and still kind of running a group of, of a sort. So that's awesome. Yeah. And we, um, you know, it, like what you said, we're like, basically we kind of started this like other chat with like, and we called it Pregos. And so like oh, most basically like someone would add in another person, drop them in the, in the chat, like as soon as they got pregnant, but then it's like the core group started to kind of dissolve and like then the people who weren't pregnant didn't even know that there was another group so like Same. it's definitely like 
it's a weird place. Um, and I think COVID has complicated it because I think if we were meeting in person, it would be a lot easier. Um, but you know, we could, I guess, meet now in person, but, um, it's been interesting. So, um, the reason I even got started with the group is that I had been going to like fertility acupuncture and the acupuncturist was like, you know, I have several women that I'm seeing that like would really benefit from some support group. And so we looked into starting it and through resolve, you know, it has to be, it can't be in an acupuncturist office. It has to be um, free. It can't, you can't have to pay to use a space. It can't be at someone's house. So it has to be like in a neutral space. Um, and so it just happened that my office um, is like kind of set up like a living room. Like it's kind of this like welcoming place with like couches and chairs. And so it was kind of like the perfect place to host. So I was bringing the facility and then the other girl who ended up getting pregnant right at the beginning, you know, she was kind of like heading up the, um, <clears throat> just like the communication part of it. And so we were basically like a resolve group and, um, you know, our, my like email is still on the resolve website. So I still am like getting people wanting to join this group. And there's, I know, and there's been like talk of like resurrecting and starting a new one. And we've done that a couple of times. Um, but I think it really only works when you have more than a few people. It doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't work if there's only like two or three people. I think the dynamics when there's a larger group and everyone has these varied stories is what, you know, really adds benefit. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, in the future, there might be an option for starting a new kind of wing, but, um, it's been interesting because, <laughs> you know, being type a it's, there's been several realtors in the group, which is so funny. Okay. And we didn't know, we didn't really know each other before then. And so now it's like, I have my, like my little infertile realtor friends <laughs> who are like some of the people I just share the most with. Um, and it's, it's been really great. I mean, I've come out of this with like some really awesome friends. That's awesome. I know I can relate to, I mean, our group, it's crazy. It's gotten up to almost 60 people and exactly what you said, you know, there's 11 of us moved over to the, for the pregnancy side of it, but then someone will say, Hey, like, I just like super overwhelmed. I went to my first IVF appointment. My AMH is 0.39. Has anybody dealt with this? And just to get two or three responses, it's yes. so helpful for that person and yeah. you don't all have to be all, it doesn't have to be all consuming because that can be the other side of support groups, right? Where it's just all consuming and it's just a little too much, but um, yeah. yeah. So thanks Kelly. Do you have anything else you want to share with us in terms of your story, in terms of leading a support group? No, I don't, I don't think so. I'm just, um, I'm super grateful for you guys, what you're doing. Like it's, it's really refreshing because, you know, I follow a lot of the podcasts because I have my commute and a lot of them interview like all the same people and, um, like from Instagram, like all these influencers who are, you know, infertile. And so I've heard their stories multiple times. And so I really like that you guys are like just kind of being really varied of who you're having on the podcast. And I, you know, listen to your Roe Ro v. Wade podcast. Like they're just, you, you're giving a different perspective and it's really appreciated in this space. Um, I did want to um, shout out to like one Instagram fault or Insta, you know, influencer who has been like really important to me in my journey. Um, it's her, I think it's called defining mom. Her name's Becky and she's okay. in the UK. Um, and she has started this platform called, um, path paths to parent hub. 
um, where she has, it's almost like this membership um, every month and she has like webinars, she has chat rooms, support groups, and it's like, it's all about um, donor conceived people and egg donation, sperm donation, embryo donation. And cool. she has been like really vital in you know, my journey. So that's my, my shout will out. You share, I wrote that down, but will you share it? So we link it correctly because I love giving those resources. Uh, I, I heard you mention that earlier in the show and I was like, wow, I bet she has some really good resources. Yeah. to learn oh, yes. from. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm happy to. Well, thank you so, so much. We so appreciate you and sharing your whole journey and we are just so excited for you with your daughter and we just thank you so much for being here. Thanks, you guys. I'll talk to you.